You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we Welcome in, everybody. Yeah. So podcast it is sweeping america the air tour sports podcast it is wednesday october 5th 2021 people hope everybody's having a great day hope everybody's having a great week and at the very least i hope you're doing better than urban meyer not a great week for urban meyer we will open the show talking about urban meyer did not talk about it much on monday's show simply because i didn't really think there was much to talk about but i've seen some absurd takes over the last couple days to be clear no urban meyer should not be fired for this but i do think his time is ticking in jacksonville and i will explain why also speaking of clock ticking Coach O, LSU, we talked about it last episode. Well, on Tuesday, Pete Thamel from Yahoo already doing the preemptive this is who will be the next head coach article for Yahoo. We'll talk a little bit about some of the candidates that he names, why I believe that that hot seat is ticking, and also on top of that, what I'm hearing about that job. But you look at that schedule from LSU, as I said, 8-7 and seven since uh, the start of last season. Coach O's time in Baton Rouge, I do not believe, has very much left. Finally, 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 we'll do some Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. Fun segment I love to do here every Wednesday on this show. Couple housekeeping notes, Aaron Torres online. Make sure you're following there. First of all, we'll have some great guests in the lead up to college hoop season, but also worth noting at Aaron Torres online really talented young college hoops writer uh, Jacob Polachek will be doing a countdown series breaking down the 30 best teams over the 30 next days in co- 30 upcoming days in college basketball we're about a month away from the start of the season unbelievable how quickly things are coming up uh, again I'll have some guests here DraftKings our incredible partner check my Twitter feed at Aaron underscore Torres incredible giveaway for the MLB playoffs I'll give you more details on Friday's show about that giveaway a lot of good stuff but let's get into the topic of the day and boy oh boy oh boy what a topic it is it is of course Urban Meyer And it's really interesting because if you listened to Monday's episode, you know that I really didn't talk all that much about this Urban Meyer story. And the reason I didn't really talk about the Urban Meyer story is for one simple reason. I didn't really think there was two sides to it. And one thing about this show, if you've listened to me through the years, you know that when I bring up a topic, I like it to be something that's interesting, something that there's two sides to, something that I can take a definitive stand on, something that I can at least make you think differently about. And I don't think there's really anything that I can say that's going to make you feel differently about Urban Meyer. There's not two sides to the Urban Meyer video. When you're an adult, when you're a married man, you cannot be out at a bar bumping and grinding on a woman that's not your wife. By the way, ladies, same applies to you. Once you walk down that aisle, man, woman, whatever, till death do you part, uh, or until that divorce paper goes final, don't go out bumping and grinding with people that are not your husband or wife, okay? And so to me... Once we got past that, it's like, well, well, what is there really to talk about? We all know it wasn't a good look. We all know it wasn't a good idea. But on top of that, uh, I was ready to move on. And then a funny thing happened. We've gone, I don't know, 24, 36, 48 hours since the initial video came out, and the takes keep getting hotter and hotter. 
turn on ESPN, big mistake, and I check ESPN, and literally like 80% of ESPN is like, he needs to be fired. No, Urban Meyer does not need to. You don't need to be fired. for Being a creep is not a fireable offense, okay? So no, Urban Meyer shouldn't be fired. But I do think this is just the latest thing that it makes it pretty clear that Urban Meyer, he's just not the guy for this job in this moment in the NFL with a rebuilding franchise. So let's get into it. And before we do, let me start by saying what I always say in situations like this. I'm not a moralist, okay? I am not perfect. I don't claim to be perfect. And when it comes to judging my sports figures and sports characters, I really only care what you do on the field to play on the sidelines as a coach. That's really it. Because at the end of the day, I am not perfect. I know that if cameras were on me 24 hours a day, I would do or say something embarrassing. I would look embarrassing at some moment in time. So I am far from a moralist. And even in worst case scenarios, even in stuff that is way bigger than Urban Meyer, my stance has always been universal. Longtime listeners of the show know where my stance is. But for those who are new to the show, this is my stance. If you are not in jail, I believe that you're ultimately allowed to make a living doing whatever it is that you're good at. I've used this example many times on this show. My mom. Love my mom. Greatest woman on the planet. She listens to this podcast. Mom, I love you, okay? We still, my mom, to this day, get into an argument about Michael Vick. She sees Michael Vick on TV. She's an animal advocate. She loves her dogs. She says, that guy should not be allowed to. And I say, Mom, he served his time. He's not in jail. He should be allowed to make a living. It's the same with Ray Rice. If Ray Rice was still good at football, I believe that if he's not in jail, he should be allowed to make a living. Same with uh, Art Bryle. Same with, you go on and on down the list, I don't care. If you are not in jail, you should be allowed to make a living. Now, it's up to each individual franchise, organization, company, whether they want to hire you or not. And that is for actual criminal activity. And I think that's what's important that we have to remember here about Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer did not commit a crime. Urban Meyer was just a creep in a club with a lady that wasn't his wife. Did not commit homicide, did not commit a violent crime, did not get a DUI, did not physically assault somebody. He just bumped and grinded with a woman that isn't his wife. His wife deserves to be mad about this. His kids deserve to be mad about this. Jacksonville's players deserve to be mad about this. But let's stop acting like he committed a violent crime. And I'll take it a step further. And I'll take it a step further. Not only did he not commit a crime... We don't even know if he committed adultery. And by the way, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to get into the morality of what is crossing a line and what isn't. It doesn't matter. The only thing that Urban Meyer is paid to do is not be a great husband, is not be a great father. It is to win football games. And to me, that's ultimately the biggest problem right now. It's really interesting. I saw my buddy uh, Mo Egger, great, great, great radio host in the city of Cincinnati. He tweeted this out, and I thought it was such a good point. This is what Mo Egger said. He said, Urban Meyer's biggest problem, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't want to quote Mo, but you can find his tweet, Mo Egger. He basically said something to the effect of, Urban Meyer's biggest problem right now isn't that he got caught at a bar with a woman. It's that he got caught at a bar with a woman while he's not winning. And I was thinking about this. Think about how differently this video is perceived if Jacksonville is 3-1. and one. If Jacksonville is 4-0. And I know it sounds crazy. You're going to sit there and say, well, Torres, he's married. That's disgusting. I get it. But what I would also tell you is let's, let's, put on our, let, let's change things around a little bit. Let's pretend that Bruce Arians is in this video. Let Bruce Arians head coach Tampa Bay Bucks Just beat New England 3-1, dancing and grinding on a woman, touching her in a place that she shouldn't be touched. But at the same time, we'd be like, look at Bruce Arians getting down. Look at Bruce Arians having fun. After I think he's married, probably shouldn't be there, but come on, they just beat New England. We'd do the same thing if it was Sean McVay. We'd do the same thing if it's Matt LaFleur. But one, we don't like Urban Meyer. And I think, by the way, that's one of his biggest problems. Urban Meyer has no allies. He burned every bridge in college. The media can't stand him. Everybody in the NFL wants to see him fail because he's the college guy coming up and he's encroaching on their turf. But on top of that, they are 0-4. And so I just want you to, to, to I, don't, I don't think any of us agree that it was the right thing. But if Urban Meyer is 3-1 and one right now, if Jacksonville is exceeding all expectations, you know what the conversation is? Man, Urban, kind of creepy. But I mean, come on, if I was 3-1 and one with the worst roster in football, I'd be celebrating too. We could say that we wouldn't say that, but we would. 
the moral high ground is being played because he's not winning, and when you're not winning, you're expected to act a certain way. You're supposed to be in the film room all night. You're supposed to be sleeping in the office. Instead, he was at a bar with a woman that is not his wife. I take it a step further. Imagine how different this video would be if simply Jacksonville had won on Thursday night. Then all of a sudden, it becomes kind of a fun, again, not condoning his behavior, not saying it was the right thing, but it becomes a fun, like, look at him blowing off steam, got his first win. Imagine what he would be like if he actually won a Super Bowl. He'd be out of his mind. He's celebrating his first win like this. I can't even imagine what he would be like if they, won, if they went 13-4 and four or 14-3. and three. You can say that this would not be the reaction, but it would be. And I'm not saying that that's okay, but I am saying that that's the reality. So at the end of the day, I'm not going to hold Urban Meyer to this impossible standard. I'm not going to pretend like I'm a perfect human being. But the fact that he was doing something that he shouldn't do in a moment when he has the worst team in football, they're struggling, he's a first-year head coach already under a microscope, it's almost this perfect storm of, of stuff that, is, that has led to the reaction that we're having that, oh my God, he has to be let go. Um, and I do think it'll be interesting to see what happens next. I do not believe that he should be fired. But what I do believe is that we are seeing increasingly this job is just not for him. First of all, I thought the smartest takes and opinions um, were from a few different people. I don't want to name names, but you can find them. Is that the problem with Urban Meyer being at the bar isn't that he was at the bar. It's that they lost. He said he was staying behind to hang out with his grandkids, and he's bumping and grinding and being a creep at a bar. And so the big problem if you're an NFL head coach is you got to go into that locker room and look at 53 grown men in the eye and try to have some authority over them. And how do you have authority over them now if, in fact, uh, you did the one thing that you tell all of them not to do, which is, hey, when you leave this facility, stay out of trouble, don't do anything stupid. Don't get caught on camera. Don't be a distraction. And so to me, no, I do not believe that Urban Meyer should be fired from this video. But what I do think is abundantly clear, he might have just lost the locker room and he might not ever get it back. And I think when you factor in all of the different variables, all of the different variables, the fact that he just may have lost the locker room, the fact that the team isn't winning, the fact that we know this guy doesn't handle not winning well, the fact that he physically looks ill on the sidelines, although I think he's playing some of it up for the cameras, I do think this is kind of a symptom of the bigger problem, which is the NFL stuff isn't working. I think at this point, everybody's going to say the right things. I just do not believe that he will be with Jacksonville very much longer. He might make it till the end of the season. But the one thing I will say, you guys know that I know college hoops and college basketball a lot. This reminds me a lot of John Beeline with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I know it's a weird parallel. I don't think there's any video of John Beeline bumping and grinding with a young lady at a bar. But I bring it up because John Beeline, about two, three months into his NBA tenure as a head coach, you start to see those reports of like, it's not working. He's not getting through. The guys are already tuning him out. The, the NBA professional basketball is not for him. And I think we're starting to see it with Urban Meyer. He, he clearly can't handle the losing. He may have just lost the locker room. He wasn't on the plane with the team after the loss. He can't look those guys in the eye right now and say that he is doing everything to make sure that they're ready to go when they take the field next Sunday because we know he's not. And so when I look at this, I just think this is the beginning of the end for Urban Meyer, but let's stop with the fake nonsense that we have to fire him because of some video in which he was acting like an idiot and doing nothing more. All right, final thought on Urban Meyer, and that is this uh, before we get to Coach O. Um, if you listen to this show, you know that I've always kind of, I've always kind of uh, been a believer that I, I thought there was the scenario that Urban Meyer could end up at USC by the end of this this football season. And I'm not saying it was likely. I'm not saying that I thought he was the number one candidate. But I could have seen the scenario prior to this where he ended up at USC. We all know how it goes down. He uh, leaves with two or three weeks left in the season. He claims that it, there was only one college job that was the right fit for him. He says that he wants Jacksonville to be in the best position possible, and he knows he's not the right man for the job. We all know how it would have gone down. And yes, he would have taken heat for two, three, four weeks. And then if he was good at USC, nobody would have cared. Same with Nick Saban at Alabama. We all remember how he left the Miami Dolphins. We all remember, oh, it's going to be this story that follows him for... Nobody cares. He's won a billion championships at Alabama. He's the greatest college football coach in the history of the sport. Nobody cares that Nick Saban left the Miami Dolphins. And I think there was a scenario where it could have been the same for Urban Meyer. 
I now think that scenario is essentially off the table. I don't see the scenario in which Urban Meyer now leaves the NFL and gets a college job right away, and I think it's pretty simple. I mean, first of all, when it comes to USC, it's worth noting that when the job almost opened up in 2019, there were reports that the USC school president, her name is Carol Fultz, she was new at the time, that she was not a fan of bringing in Urban Meyer, especially with the way that he had left Ohio State. And now, on top of how he left Ohio State, you have a situation where he's caught on camera, out at a bar, woman that's not his wife. And I'm not saying that, again, it's illegal to be with a woman that's not your wife, that it's illegal for a grown man to have an alcoholic beverage. But when you are talking about somebody that is the face of the, the, the entire school, really, I just don't know that USC goes in that direction right now at this moment. Um, I just don't think you can sell that. You could sell it if he was just a bad NFL coach and it wasn't the right fit, but he's coming home to college where he belongs. But now he's coming home. He, he's leaving the NFL because he wasn't good enough, and that's assuming, of course, that Jacksonville doesn't turn things around. But even if he leaves, um, we know that it was he wasn't good enough with he's dealing with some stuff in his personal life. He got caught on video. He embarrassed his family. He embarrassed the organization. We can't have him come here and embarrass the school as well. And so I don't know if this will ultimately, assuming it does not work out in Jacksonville, and I don't think it will, I don't know if this ultimately closes the door on his entire career. I still believe he has one good four or five-year run as a college coach ahead of him. He's only 57. Uh, Nick Saban is about to be 70, so he, in theory, has a decade. And look, I could see the scenario where he goes back into the media for a year or two, and then another great job opens up, USC or Texas or this job or that job, and he gets one more shot at, uh, you know, kind of greatness in college football, and he does all the right things, and he says all the right things, and I'm changed, and my wife and I have gone to counseling, and blah, 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 blah. That is not going to happen right now, though, not in this current situation, not uh, with what happened in uh, Ohio this weekend. Just a bad look for Urban Meyer. Again, I am not going to hold his feet to the fire for being a dumb idiot at a bar, but I think it's pretty clear that he is not cut out for the NFL. I think it's pretty clear he's probably lost the locker room, and what I would finally say is I just think it's going to be really hard for him to get an NFL head, or a college head coaching job this offseason. All right, this is what I want to do. Take a quick break. I want to come back. As I said, Pete Thamel, Yahoo Sports, put out a list on Tuesday, basically saying, Coach O, we know he's not going to make it, so let's start talking about who's next. I want to talk about some of those candidates, some of the stuff that I've heard. I will be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I do want to switch gears, and I do want to talk about another coach that finds himself in the crosshairs. That's our old buddy, Coach O, Ed Orgeron, LSU. And if you were off social media, if you were off uh, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, Instagram, on Tuesday, you didn't miss anything. Coach O is still, as I record here, about 10 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday, on Tuesday, excuse me. He is still the LSU head coach. But it is clear things are trending in the wrong direction. Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports actually put out an article basically saying he's a dead man walking. And so what I wanted to do, it is abundantly clear that he is probably not going to keep this job beyond this season. And what I want to do is talk a little bit about the Pete Thamel article, some stuff that I have heard, some names that you can watch out for as it pertains to LSU, and just talk about that job in general. And first of all, what I would say is this. Listen, you know how most of us in the media work. There's an old saying in the media, I don't talk about another man's job. And a lot of media members, they don't talk about coaches that are on the hot seat until they are officially fired. And what I would say is this. I'm not rooting against Coach O. I hope he stays forever. I think he is great for college football. But my job is to talk about the things that you care about. And my job, I don't believe in the I don't talk about another man's job. If you're not good at your job, I'm going to talk about you. Same way, by the way, I get tweets all the time. Torres, you stink. Torres, you suck. Fox has to fire you. You need. You don't deserve a podcast. I get it all the time. So if y'all can talk about my job, and not you guys because you love me, but if y'all can talk about my job, well, I got to talk about a guy that isn't performing, and when it comes to Coach O, he isn't getting the job done. And the concern with Coach O, there are certain teams that are struggling right now that you kind of just sit there and say, okay, if this gets fixed, they will be fine. If that gets fixed, everything will be okay. Here is the problem with LSU and Coach O right now. 
First of all, I'm, I said it on Monday's show, 8-7 and seven since they won the national championship, 5-5 five and five last year, 3-2 and two this year, losing to teams that they're not supposed to. Mississippi State last year, UCLA this year, Auburn at home this year, first loss to Auburn in Baton Rouge since 1999. So that's part of the problem. The second thing is that there is no way to fix what their ails are, okay? LSU has, as I said on Monday, maybe the single biggest problem of any Power 5 team that I've seen. They cannot run the football. Everything else is okay. They're not elite in a lot of categories, but they are good enough in a lot of categories, but they cannot run the football. As I record here going into week six, we have a five-week sample size. They rank 128th out of 130 teams in rushing yards per game. The only two teams that are worse, Mississippi State, who doesn't even try to run the football, and Bowling Green. And so when you are about halfway through the season and there is one thing that you can definitively not do, it ain't getting fixed over the course of this season. And beyond that, here is what would concern me if I was an LSU fan and why I feel like it's okay to talk about the future of LSU football without Coach O. It is because they just got through what was supposed to be the easy part of their schedule. First five games for LSU at UCLA, McNeese State, Central Michigan, at Mississippi State, Auburn at home. Had not lost to Auburn at home since 1999. UCLA, as it turns out, is really not that good. That was the stretch that you were supposed to get through in a worst-case scenario at 4-1 and overall, if not 5-0. and Instead, you are 3-2. and You're 3-2, and and here's the catch. You are now going into the tough part of your schedule. It'd be one thing if you had Alabama and Florida and Ole Miss in the first three weeks of the season. You can understand being 3-2 and at this point in the year. They just got through the easy part of their schedule. Here are their next five games. This coming Saturday at Kentucky. Florida at home. At Ole Miss, the second to last weekend of October. Bye week at Alabama. And then they play Arkansas. Let me repeat that again. At Kentucky this weekend, Florida at home. At Ole Miss, at Alabama, Arkansas. Do you notice one thing about that schedule? The next Five opponents that LSU has are all currently ranked in the top 25, in the top 20, as a matter of fact. And so it's not as though all those teams will be there in the end. Ole Miss and, Al- or Ar- Ole Miss and Arkansas play this weekend. One of them is going to fall. Arkansas plays Alabama next weekend. One of them is going to fall. But the point remains, it is hard to see the scenario when you are 3-2 and two through the easy part of your schedule, where you get through that segment of the schedule, forget unfazed, but without at least two losses, maybe three. And if you go two and three over that stretch, which it looks like is a kind of best case scenario, that sets up for a seven and five season this year. Even if you get through with a three and two mark, that sets up for an eight and four season. And I don't know if eight and four is going to keep Coach O's job. Now, maybe it will. Maybe it will. But I feel like 9-3 and three has to be the answer, the only way that I know that Coach O is going to keep his job. Because keep in mind, they're 3-2 and two right now. So 9-3 and three means that they would be 6-1 and one in their final seven games, only lost presumably to Alabama. Then you could justify bringing Coach O back. The problem is we have seen nothing to make us think that Coach O and LSU are going to get through that stretch 6-1, and one, even 5-2. and two. And so if you go 4-3, and three, now we're talking about 7-5, and five, and that is not going to get the job done at LSU. And so that is why Pete Thamel wrote his article today, and that is why I feel comfortable talking about it. Not because I'm rooting against Coach O, not because I want it to be fired, but we have to be realistic, and we have to start talking about what the future of LSU football is because it does not appear as though it is going to be Coach O. By the way, you know the single biggest thing that is working against Coach O right now? It is that the AD that hired him, Joe Oliva, is no longer there. Joe Oliva was kind of run out in the middle of the Will Wade stuff. I, whatever. You know what happened with Will Wade. Joe Oliva was run out. Scott Woodward replaced him. Scott Woodward not only did not hire Ed Orgeron, Coach O, 
Scott Woodward has a reputation in college sports, and now I'm taking you a little bit behind the curtain, as the single most fearless and aggressive AD in college sports. And that's important here. And I've talked about Scott Woodward on this podcast before because he basically operates as though we all would if we were ADs, right? You know how like when your favorite team fires their coach because their coach stinks and you put together that dream list of impossible candidates and your school never goes after them? Like imagine being um, a Tennessee fan. Let's just use Tennessee as hypothetical. Like four or five years ago, you get rid of X guy, Y guy, Z guy, uh, and you hear the report that John Gruden might be interested. And every AD in America would just be like, I'm not even going to call John Gruden. He's not taking the job. Well, Scott Woodward is the guy that is all of us, and he goes after the most high-profile candidates he can. He throws money at him, and he basically does what we would all do if we were an AD. He throws money at the biggest candidates, he makes them say no, and then when they say no, he sends them more money, and then they end up committing to what he was doing, okay? So first of all, Scott Woodward, here are some of the hires that Scott Woodward has had since he has been an AD. When he was at Washington, he was the guy that convinced Chris Peterson, the Boise State coach, to leave Boise State for Washington. Chris Peterson, for years, would not leave Boise State. We were all wondering, is he ever going to leave for a bigger job? He ultimately leaves Boise State for Washington. Scott Woodward was the guy that hires him. He then goes to Texas A&M. You know who his big hire was at Texas A&M? Goes and gets Jimbo Fisher. That's right, national championship winning coach. I have said it on this podcast before. I have some good contacts in Texas a- at Texas A&M, and all of them told me, we are going big name. We are going to throw money at the biggest name that we can get, and we're going to keep throwing money until they say no. At the time, it was Chris Peterson. At the time, it was James Franklin. At the time, it was Dabo Swinney. At the time, it was Dabo, uh, Jimbo Fisher. Scott Woodward got Jimbo Fisher to leave Florida State for Texas A&M. On top of that, he also got Buzz Williams from Virginia Tech off of a Sweet 16 to Texas A&M as the basketball coach there. And it's worth noting, when he got to LSU this summer, you know what he did? He went and got Kim Mulkey, the Baylor women's coach, to come to LSU and build, rebuild that program there. And so I bring it up because this guy is a big game hunter. He is fearless. He is not going to be content with 7-5, and five, especially at his alma mater, LSU. And he is not going to keep Coach O around if he does not believe Coach O is the team, the, the coach that can routinely have this program in the hunt for national championships and so as we start to think about what a future post post coach o could look like and again for the thousandth time i'm not rooting for it but i live in reality i can't play the i don't talk about another man's job if that man is not getting his job done and he is going to replace by somebody who might get the job done I'm going to talk about those guys. And so here are the, the candidates, a couple names listed by Pete Thamel, and then from there, I will list one other name that I have heard as well. The first name, drumroll please, it is Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. And I know what some of you are probably thinking, how could Jimbo Fisher, why would he leave Texas A&M in the conference for another conference, SEC West from one school to the other? The first thing is, well, it's what I just said. The AD that hired Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, Scott Woodward, is now the AD at LSU. And so why would he leave? It's because the guy that hired him, the guy that believed in him, the guy that threw him a pile of cash to Texas A&M is now at LSU. Not to say that he has a bad relationship with the current AD, but we all know how it works. When somebody hires you, when somebody believes in you, when somebody was your, you were their top choice you're always going to at least take their phone call because they believed in you, maybe at a time when nobody else did, or at the very least, they believe in you and believe in your abilities. The other factor working for Jimbo Fisher, and some of you know this and some of you don't, and you'll be blown away when I tell you, he has no buyout, okay? And this is always the big thing with all of these college coaches. Well, we want to go get this guy, but his buyout is X amount of money, and we would have to pay that other school X amount of money before we can even get on the phone to get him to our school and then hire a staff and pay everything that comes with it. And so most of these coaches, you got to pay a $5, $10 million buyout to get him out of his pre-existing contract. Then you get him in, you got to pay him 30, 40, 50 million over six, seven years. And then you got to pay for a staff and it becomes too much. Jimbo Fisher does not have a buyout. Okay. 
Jimbo Fisher, shout out to Jimmy Sexton, his agent, power broker in college athletics. Jimmy Sexton, this is a Jimmy Sexton special. For his most high-profile candidates, Jimmy Sexton does not get buyouts for them. Essentially, Texas A&M said, you want to come here? We're going to give you everything you need to win so you never want to leave. And that includes the $9 million salary that Jimbo Fisher is making. That also includes, by the way, all the resources, all the facilities, all the whatever. But if Jimbo Fisher decides tomorrow that he wants to leave Texas A&M and he wants to go coach at Little Sisters of the Poor, he will owe Texas A&M $0 to get out of his contract. And so that's why Jimbo Fisher is probably still the number one candidate. Now, the, the thing working against Jimbo Fisher and Scott Woodward right now, Texas A&M isn't very good. Now, they could obviously turn things around. They could still, they're 3-2 and two right now like LSU. They could go 9-3, and three, and if they do, people will still love Jimbo Fisher. And by the way, the fan base loves Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, so it's not to say that they don't love him. But, you know, one, Texas A&M could just start having success again, and then he's probably out of the picture. But then two, on top of that, I think the opposite could be true too. Texas A&M very well might be the worst team in the SEC West. It sounds crazy, except here's the thing. Already lost to Mississippi State, which was picked to finish seventh in this division in the preseason. Lost to them at home, lost to Arkansas, and no disrespect to Arkansas, they are not the best team in this division. A&M still hasn't played Alabama, still hasn't played Ole Miss, still hasn't played Auburn. Those all feel like losses. Uh, maybe they beat LSU at some point. But the bottom line is, if Jimbo Fisher goes 7-5 and five and finishes sixth in the SEC West... Can you really bring him in as the head coach? I think the answer is no, especially when you're going to have to pay him as much money as you will to get him to be the head coach. He makes $9 million at Texas A&M. You'd think you'd have to at least match that, if not surpass that, and that has nothing to do with Coach O's salary. Second name that Pete Thamel brought up, another name that we have all heard. This is the name that I've probably heard the most with LSU. Don't laugh. It's Lane Kiffin. And the thought process is really simple. Lane Kiffin's putting up 60 points per game at Ole Miss. Imagine what he could do with the talent that LSU accumulates on a year-in, year-out basis. Now, there's a couple things I'm not sold that LSU is the right fit for him, although I would say with Lane Kiffin. I talked about it last week. Everybody wants Lane Kiffin right now, or at least they did in the lead-up to the Alabama game. They see what he does on offense. They see how dynamic they've been, and they see how it's all come together in such a short amount of time. And again, the thought process is, if Lane Kiffin could do it at Ole Miss, imagine if he could do it at our school. And as I said last week, not only does LSU want him potentially as a head coach, I've heard some people suggest USC, although I think it's a long shot. And my buddy Ryan Fowler, who hosts radio in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, says that's who I want as the next head coach when Nick Saban retires. And so Lane Kiffin still is a hot name, but I think there's a couple things working against him. And the primary thing is exactly what we saw last Saturday against Alabama. Everybody says, oh, you know, he's crazy and he's fearless and he's this and he's that. He coached his team right out of the game. And as I said on Monday's show, I think he showed his true colors, who he really is, what he is about, the fact that in big moments he doesn't use common sense, he trusts himself too much, and he just makes these boneheaded decisions at the worst possible time. It has been a trait of his dating back to the USC days. If you go back to USC, said the wrong thing, did the wrong thing, made the wrong decision, made the wrong play call at the wrong time, all the time at USC, and the same thing happened last week at Ole Miss. I thought it was really funny. I've seen a lot of people try to do the spin zone thing of, uh, oh, you know, the analytics say that he should have gone for all those fourth downs. No. You don't go for three fourth downs, two of them in your own territory early in the game. You just don't. I don't care what the analytics say. That's not the right decision. But I think that's who Lane Kiffin is. And I still think it's going to take at least a few more years to get that out of him. When he faces adversity, when he, when he has real problems, he goes back, he reverts to the guy he's always been, which is immature, irresponsible, does what he thinks is best, even if it's not best for the team. Third name that uh, Pete Thamel mentioned, and this is a really interesting one. James Franklin. James Franklin's about to get rich somewhere. He might get paid at Penn State. Might get paid as the new head coach at USC. And apparently he might get paid as the head coach at LSU. And what I would say with James Franklin is a couple things. One, it, be, it, it is very clear to me James Franklin is ready to move on from Penn State. Um, when it comes to James Franklin, I think the only th the, the, let me put it this way. 
The only way I see the scenario that James Franklin is the head coach at Penn State next year is two things. One, if he makes the college football playoff this year. Because if you make the college football playoff, if you beat Ohio State, if you get past Ohio State and Michigan, you cannot argue that Penn State has a ceiling. You can't do what you need to do at Penn State. The argument for leaving Penn State is Ohio State's there every year. Michigan's tough. Wisconsin's tough most years. Iowa's tough. I got to go somewhere else to compete for a national championship. You make the college football playoff, that's not an issue. Now, the flip side is if you completely fall apart down the stretch. You lose three out of your next four. You're, you start this year. You're currently number three in the country. Everybody loves you. You lose at Iowa. You lose at Ohio State. You lose to Michigan. All of a sudden, you're eight and four by the end of the year. That's a little bit harder to sell to all these other fan bases. It'll be interesting to see, but what's very clear, James Franklin appears to me to be ready to move on from Penn State, assuming they don't make the college football playoff, um, and it's with good reason. It's the same reason I talked about USC the other day, is that there might be a glass ceiling at Penn State. If you can't get by Ohio State this year, you never will, and it start to it, you, you have to start to ask, should I try to beat Ohio State every year, or should I go build my own Ohio State somewhere else, whether that's USC, whether it's LSU? The only thing that I could think would keep him from considering LSU is two things. One, again, if he makes the college football playoff, you can't leave Penn State after you make the college football playoff, nor will LSU wait until January 1st uh, to hire a new coach, assuming they get rid of Coach O. Secondly, and I do think this is an important one, if USC, if he's their top priority, and without Urban Meyer in the mix, I think he's their top priority, I think he takes USC over LSU. And I don't know if LSU's a better job. I don't know if USC's a better job. I would argue LSU is probably a better job, more resources, more facilities, more money, same amount of recruits in your area. The problem is you're still in the SEC, and you're still in the SEC West. You're still going against that Saban guy every year. You're still going against that Jimbo Fisher guy every year. Brian Harson seems to have things rolling. Lane Kiffin is unique. Uh, Sam Pittman is tough. And I do think if it comes down to USC or LSU and the money's about the same, USC probably makes a little bit more sense because it's a little bit easier to build something there. So James Franklin is the third name on the list. I'd add one more, which I brought up after week one when you when LSU lost to UCLA. Hugh Freeze. And, uh, you know, Hugh Freeze, obviously friend of the pod. I have not talked to him about this, to be abundantly clear. Um, but, you know, Hugh Freeze, there's only right now, as best I can tell, three guys in college football who have beaten Nick Saban twice. One is Dabo Sweeney, at least twice. One is Dabo Sweeney. One is Gus Malzahn, believe it or not. He's beaten Nick Saban a couple times. The other one is Hugh Freeze. And the argument from LSU fans is give Hugh Freeze the kind of talent that LSU has. If he did it with Ole Miss, he can do it at LSU. He is the one guy that can compete. I think I told this story, but following the UCLA game, I got a call from somebody uh, that was at the Rose Bowl LSU guy that was like, Hugh Freeze is the only answer. So the only point I'm trying to make those are the names that you are going to start to hear as it pertains to the LSU job if Coach O does not turn this around really quickly, and I just don't think that he will. Not because I don't love Coach O, but I think we have to start dealing in reality. One other name, by the way, Joe Brady, NFL guy. For people who don't know, he is the Carolina Panthers offensive coordinator. He was the LSU offensive coordinator when they won the national championship with Joe Burrow. I've been told by people, I've read, Pete Thamel referenced it, a source kind of texted me this today, he, he's not really into the college thing, he's not really into the recruiting thing, he's not really into going to a 17-year-old kid's house and explaining why they need to come to his school. I think LSU has to make the call, he was the offensive coordinator for a national championship team, but I do think that Joe Brady, probably off the table as the next LSU head coach, I'm telling you, those are the four names to keep an eye on, Jimbo Fisher, Lane Kiffin, James Franklin, I think Hugh Freeze is in the mix as well. Finally, let's wrap on what is basically becoming America's favorite segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And yes, for those of you who are new to this show, I don't want to be accused of anything, so I just put it out there. I straight up hijacked this segment from my buddy Colin Cowherd. I've been on with Colin a few times. Uh, great guy. Been great to me in my career. But every week, Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. And I have taken it for the Aaron Torres podcast where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Because let's be honest, you know that nobody loves giving themselves a strong pat on the back quite like your boy Torres. 
Uh, and sometimes I need a little bit of humble pie. Sometimes I get some stuff right, but there's a lot of times I get some stuff wrong. I need to do the walk of shame. I need a slap on the wrist. I need to be told you're not as good as you think you are. And so we do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, every Wednesday show, basically telling you what I got right and, of course, a lot of what I got wrong. So let's start with this, where Aaron was right. Seems like a perfect segue from the last segment. I was right on LSU. Preseason, I heard so many people, well, if they do this, if they do that, could they be this? Could They, they could be a dark horse playoff contender. And I said, wait a second. I, I, I've said it 30,000 times on this episode. I love Coach O. Did anybody watch LSU last year? They were awful on defense. They could not move the ball. They did not have an established quarterback. And I said, look, I could see them going from 5-5 five and five to 8-4, and four, maybe even 9-3. and three. But playoff contender in the SEC West? Give me a break. And so where Aaron was right, I mean, I nailed that one. They're, they're not good. They don't run the ball at all, as I just told you. And they're not even in the, the – forget the college football playoff conversation. They might finish in last place in the SEC West. I never bought the LSU hype coming into this year. Never really believed in Max Johnson, although he has not been the problem. I obviously could not have predicted how bad the run game would be, but I just never saw what the hype was in this conference with Georgia, with Alabama, with Florida, with Texas A&M. Did not see uh, any reason to think that LSU was a dark horse playoff contender. Never bought them, especially because of their defense. I was right on that one. Where Aaron was wrong. Uh, how about those Alabama Crimson Tide? Don't know if you follow me on Instagram, at Aaron Torres Pod, but posted my college football playoff picks. Did a college football playoff pick segment on this show. And my final four was Georgia, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. Not very original, not very interesting, but there is one team that is very conspicuously left off that list. That is the Alabama Crimson Tide. I thought they'd be good. I thought they'd be fine. I thought they'd be maybe even 11-1, but not quite good enough to get into the playoff, mainly because I thought Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State would be that good in their respective conferences. It would leave the SEC only one spot in the college football playoff. Well, we are now almost halfway through the season. Alabama and Georgia are 1-1A, 1A and 1B, whatever you want to call them. They are the, the two clear best teams in the country. I don't see the scenario either of them loses up until the SEC championship game. I think they both get in the playoff, and then I think they're both playing again for the national championship. Uh, but the idea that I did not have Alabama in my preseason playoff, I again, you talk about a slap on the wrist, uh, a little walk of shame, that is embarrassing as I somehow did not have Alabama in my preseason college football playoff. Aaron was right. How about my dogs? Love the Georgia Bulldogs. I said, I said, I think they win the national championship. I think this is the year. I got a buddy, Drew DeArmond, who hosts radio in Alabama. He likes to say, Every time something goes right for Georgia, they better pull out those Herschel Walker VHS tapes because that's the last time that they were relevant on the national scene good enough to win a national championship. Well, guess what? In 2040 here or whenever, whenever we look back on this Georgia season, you're going to say you need to pull out the uh, Jordan Davis Blu-rays, you need to pull out the JT Daniels Blu-rays, the Kendall Milton Blu-rays, the Zamir White Blu-rays because this team is really, really, really good. Still don't know if they're going to win the national championship. That's my pick, obviously. But the one thing I talked about on Monday's show, uh, they still need to prove they can have a, they, they can pass against an elite defense. They can run the ball. They can play defense. Can they pass? I don't know. But I told you I thought this was their year. They have done nothing through five weeks to prove me wrong. Where Aaron was wrong. The Oregon Ducks. I said on this show after the Ohio State win, and I said really over the last two or three weeks, I said, I think Oregon is the definitive third best team. First time I have seen Ohio State at an athletic skill physicality mismatch when they played Oregon. Well, as it turns out, that was probably the peak of Oregon season because they lose to Stanford this past weekend. And I'll tell you this, I was hosting Fox Sports Radio um, during, uh, during the Oregon-Arizona game, and they were sloppy in that game. And one thing that's, that stuck out to me with Oregon is this. As I, I saw them start to struggle, something hit me is that, you know, we talk about the NFL as a uh, quarterback league, right? If you don't have Aaron Rodgers, if you don't have Tom Brady, if you don't have Patrick Mahomes, you can't win. Increasingly, college football is becoming a quarterback-centric sport. Think about the quarterbacks that win national championships. Joe Burrow, number one overall pick. Trevor Lawrence, number one overall pick. 
Kyler Murray made the playoff, number one overall pick. Tua made multiple playoffs, top five pick, even though he's not that good. Justin Herbert had Oregon on the, the verge of the playoff. Uh, you go on and on down the list. Baker Mayfield playoff, Jalen Hurts playoff. These are that you need an NFL quality quarterback to make a real run at the national championship. And it struck me while I was watching Oregon. I love Anthony Brown. I think he's really talented. They don't have that quarterback that can just put the team on their back when they need to make plays. Listen, I still think there is a path to the playoff for Oregon. I did think that it was weird that the second that they lost, everyone just said, oh, the Pac-12 is out of the college football playoff picture. Uh, We've been doing this playoff thing for almost eight years now. This will be the eighth year of the college football playoff. One thing we've learned, one loss does not eliminate you from the the playoff, but they're going to have an uphill battle going forward because the Big Ten is going to get at least one team. The SEC is going to get two teams. And then all of a sudden, can Oregon win enough and win convincingly to get that fourth spot in the playoff? I don't know, but I was wrong that they were the definitive third best team. Where Aaron was right. I want to transition to the NFL, and I don't talk a ton about the NFL on this show. Um, It's by design because there's only so much inventory. I do three episodes a week. There's only so much I can talk about. Um, But I bring it up because I obviously, look, I love the NFL like you guys, and I talk a ton of NFL on Fox Sports Radio. For people who do not know, I am a host Saturday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern to 2 a.m. Eastern with Jason Martin. I also do a lot of fill-in. And so where Aaron was right, I want to talk to Sean Watson. Because I was on air the day that Deshaun Watson reported to training camp. And when he reported to training camp, there was all this kerfuffle during the offseason about obviously all of the legal problems and, of course, the fact that Deshaun Watson wanted to be traded. And I said, once he shows up to camp, if the NFL isn't going to punish him, you got to play him. And everybody said I was crazy. Everybody said I was stupid. It made no sense. And I think I've been proven right in all this. And so let me even backtrack a little bit because as far as Deshaun Watson's concerned, obviously the legal situation is what's the top priority, okay? Legal situation is going on. As I just said with Michael Vick and, and everything that I talked about in the Urban Meyer segment, I believe that everybody is uh, has the right to a, a, you know not only a fair trial but a due process. And I don't believe we should assume anything with Deshaun Watson. At the same time, if the NFL is not going to punish him, and the Houston Texans let him report to training camp, I believe that you have to play him, and here's why. One, you're paying him. Two, as I just said, the NFL is not going to punish him. And three, on top of that, there is no trade market for him. You could talk about the Dolphins. You can talk about the Broncos. You could talk about this team. There is no trade market for a guy that is under this much fire in the legal system. And so I was on air the day that he reported, and I said, look, If he is going to report, then you have to play him. And everybody said I was crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. They can't play him. I was proven right because look at what is going on right now. Uh, Tyrod Taylor goes down. Davis Mills is playing. The team is a disaster. And Deshaun Watson is standing on the sideline as the highest paid uh, scout team safety in the history of the NFL. And so the way that I've always viewed it is this. I know he wants to be traded. I know he doesn't want to play with the Texans anymore. I understand that he is going through this legal process, but the NFL is not going to punish him, and you're still paying him. And he's standing there on the sidelines doing nothing. So you either say, Deshaun, grab a playbook, it's time to play, or you say, you got to get the heck out of here. Because if you're here and you're not going to play, you're taking up a roster spot, and more importantly, you're a distraction. We still talk about Deshaun Watson every week. We still talk about trades. We still talk about should he be playing. And I've been proven right. Everybody said it's crazy. You can't play him. Blah, blah, blah. If the NFL is not going to punish him, there's no trade market. I'm not saying you have to play him. What I am saying is if he's going to show up, then you got to play him. If not, you send him home. You say to Sean, we wish you nothing but the best. We are going to support you all the way through, but we can't have you here because you're a distraction. I think a lot of people are starting to see what I was saying from the beginning. Finally, where Aaron was right, or where Aaron was wrong. This one I was wrong on. Well, sort of wrong. Let's get to it. Kansas City Chiefs. And the reason I was wrong is not necessarily proven yet, but the Kansas City Chiefs were my pick to win the Super Bowl. That might not be wrong. Where I might be wrong, though, is the logic behind it. And the logic behind it, if you didn't listen to my Fox Sports Radio show, is pretty simple. I said, The Chiefs are going to be on a revenge tour this year, baby. Uh, You know, last year, they win the Super Bowl. The first five, six, seven weeks, they are on fire. They're destroying everybody. And then if you watch those games down the stretch, every single game, their final five, six, seven, eight games, they're all one possession games, okay? They're all... 
They're winning all these games that are super close, and Patrick Mahomes turns it on at the last minute, and they figure it out, and they find a way to win. Go back and watch. Tampa, survive. Saint, the New Orleans Saints with Drew Brees at the time, they survive. On and on and on and on and on. They destroy Buffalo in the AFC Championship game, and then they get smoked by the Tampa Bay Bucks in the Super Bowl. And so I said, that loss is what the Kansas City Chiefs needed. That is going to be what motivates them into the spring, into the summer, into the fall, and it is going to be a revenge tour. They are going to go back to asserting themselves as the definitive best team in the NFL, and they are my Super Bowl pick to win the Super Bowl. Well, not saying they can't win the Super Bowl, but not sure if you watched it, not very good. Two and two overall. Uh, obviously, they took care of the Philadelphia Eagles this past weekend, but lost to the Chargers, lost to the Ravens, easily could have lost to the Browns, and it's the same old Chiefs. And so until they get that kick in the butt, until they realize that uh, nobody's afraid of them anymore, until they realize that it's a 60-minute game, I don't know that I can trust this team. All right. I think I want to get out of here. That was a long episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, but a fun one, but a fun one. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope everybody listened. I hope everybody had a good time, but I appreciate your support. With that said, before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, please make sure you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Also, make sure you're, by the way, checking out Aaron Torres online. As I said, as I said, as I said, college hoops starting up. We got a little series going over there. Jacob Polachek's going to be doing some stuff for me. I'll be doing my own writing, but make sure you're focused on the Aaron Torres pod. Uh, I'm going to get out of here. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel Hates My Voice. That is all for today's episode. I am out. I will be back on Friday. Thank you guys for your support. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus